and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Dana Hilmer, I am so excited to have you as my guest today. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thank you, Jules. I'm excited to spend our time together. No, it's it's just going to be so great. I can't wait to, for you to tell everyone what it is that you do. So off you go. Why don't you tell everyone what it is that you're doing now? So now I am the co-creator of Camp Reinvention and Camp Reinvention is a program. We offer both virtual programs and in-person programs for women that are 50 and older. You know, at this stage of life, it's kind of a natural reset. So the women that join our program are at a natural crossroads and they're trying to figure out what they want next. They want to make it happen. And quite frankly, they want to enjoy their life a hell of a lot more. (laughs) So yeah, well, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. So why though, Dana, why, why do you think that women need this and what prompted you to start it? So first of all, my background is in both coaching and in positive psychology. So the need, um, it was interesting. It it started with a conversation that my co-founder, Wendy Wedding Parati and I had, and both of us in our fifties, I'm 57, she's 54. And we realize that there are so many women in this age group that are either in that place where they're trying to figure out what the heck they want. They oftentimes have been very successful doing something, but it's not fulfilling them anymore. And so they're like, okay, so now what? Or they've been in a place where they've been taking care of everybody under the sun, except for themselves. And now they're like, huh, this is my turn. (laughs) And it's kind of prompts that desire to, to do those things and accomplish those things that they might not have had a chance to do. I also think that a lot of women in this age group have been kind of derailed in some way. You know, life happens, life is hard. And some people have been divorced or widowed or health challenges, Mm -hmm. or maybe life hasn't really unfolded yet the way they want it to unfold. But they're really determined to say, wait a minute, life ain't over. And I've got a lot of years ahead of me and I've got so much I want to do and so much I want to give. And so they kind of come to us from this similar place. And I think what prompted us to create Cambria Invention is realizing this pain point and realizing that so many women that we coach and so many women that are in our age group, just our friends, are, yeah. are hitting this place. Where they're really yeah. asking themselves. It's almost hey, like we get it like a, a midlife crisis at 50 because we don't have time to have one at 40. <laughs> you know, guys <laughs> can point. have them at 40 if they want to. But <laughs> as a woman, you're normally right in kiddie land if you've got kids or career land if you're building your career. And it's funny uh, that not you say that, <laughs> Was there a particular moment though, Dana? Was there something that happened? Did you have like a light bulb moment that happened to you? Because you do this with someone else. You're a co-founder in this, aren't you? Correct. With Wendy Parati. I think our light bulb moment was when we had coffee one day and just talking about some of the things that our clients are wrestling with and realizing that, wait a minute here, like there are more women over the age of 50 than any time in history. That's right. We realize that we actually 
have this amazing opportunity to change mm-hmm. what it means to grow older, not only for ourselves, but for younger generations. I mean, we get to write Absolutely. the rules, right? And I yeah. think collectively, everybody I'm talking to anyway, we don't want to grow older necessarily the way our mom and our grandma did. You know, we kind of want to create our own rules. <laughs> no. Right? no, I talk about and, it. And we are different anyway. I mean, we're completely yes. different to them. Yes. So it's really that collective recognition that we had of that. And Over that, that cup of coffee. And one, yeah. Yes, and and yes. just said, we've got to do something about we've this. We've got to and do we something. Could. Yeah. And That's funny, so Jules, brilliant. And, and when was that? That was in... 2019 in the fall. And what's interesting is we actually didn't start this as a business. We started it as a cool project and we thought, all right, well, what if we get women together, do a retreat and spend six months with them afterwards? Because it's not enough to be inspired at a retreat. You know, we take them through the whole coaching process. We actually need to implement and have support. So we started it with this retreat and six months of coaching. And the feedback we got was amazing. We're like, huh, we really got something good here. We got to keep doing this. So we set up our next two retreats and then COVID happened. Right. Right. So at that point, we thought, all right, well, let's see if we can bring this online, see if we can serve people from all around the world. You know, obviously, yeah. case in point, talking to you from Australia, which is amazing. <laughs> um, and that's one of the beautiful gifts of, of uh, Zoom. And I think all of us realizing with this pandemic, with all the, you know, the, the hardships that I think people experience, there's also this collective, collective ability to come together um, in yes. ways that we couldn't before. And so totally. we decided to start it as a business and and offer it to women around the globe um, virtually. And now we're back doing the live thing, too, which is which is awesome, which is just brilliant. But it's funny, isn't it? The pandemic, as you say, had lots of challenges. There's no doubt about that for a lot of people. But I feel like it awakened something in women. And I don't know whether it was just the time that we had to stop. And obviously I'm talking very loosely because for those with young kids, I don't think it was a time to stop at all <laughs> during yes. the lockdowns, but it just gave us all that time to reflect and go, you know what? We're not putting up with this anymore. We, we mm-hmm. want to live full lives. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do and nothing's going to hold us back. And, and, yes. and I love, I've been interviewing all these women and lots and lots mm-hmm. of people have created new businesses or new initiatives through this periods. Cause of course yeah. for entrepreneurial women, you know, know, uh, this is perfect for us. This is a time for innovation and and off we go. So Dana, really though, I want to hear all about your life and how you got to where you are now. And I know there's some very interesting stories in there just at a very superficial level. So um, let's start off with going back to when you were a little girl. Where did you grow up? What sort of family did you have? What did your parents do? Hmm. Great question. Um, my growing up was all over the place. I lived in five oh. states, five states growing up. So people say, where are you from? And I never really know how to answer that, to be honest. <laughs> I've lived right. in eight states total. Uh, right. So my growing up years were Pennsylvania, Chicago, California, Minnesota, and right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And, and was your father in the army or what was going on? Why were you moving so no, much? No, and I should charge a dollar for every time somebody asked me that. He was <laughs> I'm an, an engineer. army brat, so I lived, oh, I, okay. I kind of got it from that point of view. Yeah, so no, he's an engineer. He just happened to transfer a lot with the work that right. he did. And so 
I guess the end result is I'm kind of half Midwest U.S. and half right. East Coast U.S. person. Um, <laughs> my adult it's years a- after going to college in Wisconsin uh, have been primarily in New York City and Connecticut. So, right. um, yeah, so all Okay, over. well, let's go back to you as a little girl. Was it a, your dad was an engineer. What did your mom do? My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she had, okay. you know, some As kind of most cool projects. Were. Yeah, exactly. She, um, you know, clearly she dove in in a huge way to having the home beautiful and the amazing meals and all that and opening opportunities for my sister and I. Uh, she also had a few little projects here and there, you know, doing a little bit of home decorating for people and some kind of craft fair kind of stuff. Um, she helped my dad with his business for a while. Um, he nice. went on to... I have a, a placement agency for engineers. So he kind of did a transition himself. And oh, interesting. She helped him. She helped him with that as well. So how um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And and did you like school? Were you good at school? I was a ridiculously good student and a ri- ridiculously good girl. <laughs> you know, I look back and it's like, I wish I was more bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no I was that high driver, a student, that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. And then when you finished school, did you do the obvious go to uni then? Was that sort of like a, that path already planned for you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I went to uh, university. I went to the University of Wisconsin. Um, I started out as a physical therapy major and ended up in business and psychology. Of course Um, you did. That's an obvious transition. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just, I mean, I was like the accidental business person for a long time. I kind of needed to do that uh, because my parents required that my degree could yield a job. They had no idea how they were going to pay for a PhD in psychology. So that kind of became the side (laughs) thing, but that was where my passion was, but I got the degree in business. Um, did you enjoy business? I mean, did you enjoy the degree eventually? No, no, not no, at all. never did. <laughs> no, I, no, let me rephrase. I did not enjoy the degree of a business degree because I always joked that I was the accidental business major. Business. Um, yeah. I did enjoy for quite a long time the work that I did uh, until I didn't. Um, I ended up being a marketing person in magazine publishing kind of in the heyday and there was some now don't get ahead don't get ahead because okay. I want to take this through the okay. wiggly worm of everyone's career I just yeah, love yeah. hearing this story there's so there's no straight line is there no there, there never is and we think there might be when we're sort of and, and I guess this is for the girls that might be listening that might not be doing well at school or don't go to uni or they come out of uni and they go I don't know what I want to do to know that it doesn't matter you will yeah. end up doing at some stage something that you love but so, so what did you do when you left uni? You've got this hybrid degree. You've got a very interesting um, background of travel and a father who obviously had been a bit entrepreneurial and set up his own business. So what was the first job for you leaving after leaving uni? So the first job was at Vanity Fair magazine. Stop and it. Yes. Oh, my God. Are you exciting. serious? Yeah. That is my absolute favorite magazine. I literally was just reading it. I can't believe that was your first job. Oh, my God. And I'm so happy it's still alive because so many magazines have died. (laughs) And it's It's, that long-form journalism and the quality of the writers. But so what was your role? How did you even land that? You know, honestly, this is really a funny story. I wanted to live in New York City. I was walking down Fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue and Sixth Avenue, just seeing the buildings and in awe of New York. So just visiting at that stage, were you living there? And I saw this (laughs) building called Condé Nast and I just went inside and I saw, 
wow, this is cool. They have Vanity all Fair, the magazines. Mademoiselle, Self Magazine, Vogue, Glamour, all the magazines I read. I had never heard of Condé Nast. So right. I took my resume and I pushed the elevator button and I went up to HR oh and I dropped God. off a resume. That's how I got my first job. And that's and literally that's how you got it. Yes. And Vanity Fair. So what was your role? What was your first role? I was a marketing assistant. Okay. And and you continued in marketing and sales sort of through your magazine career? Through that career, yeah. So I was in that career for about 12 years. And did you love my it? Way up the did, ranks. I was going to um, say, tell, tell me a bit of what it was like working in the, because yeah. I worked in newspapers, but magazines were another, another level of glamour, I, I suppose, in my mm-hmm. mind. I mean, I know that there's hard work involved as well, but it is a lovely atmosphere, I think, working in the media. So um, what was it like? How did you work your way up? You know, it's interesting. In the beginning, I loved it. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of glamour. Um, mm-hmm. I personally had to waitress three nights a week to afford to work at Vanity Fair magazine. Uh, so it wasn't well paid. paid you. Oh, my gosh. No, no. Publishing and, is known for that. Isn't it? <laughs> you were considered lucky to get the job. Right. Yeah. So I waitress three nights a week. I worked there during the day. It was exciting. It was glamorous. I ended up um, experiencing so many amazing meals because through my years in magazine publishing, oh, invited to everything. And I was in charge of holding the events for (gasps) the salespeople of my magazine. So I had to go scout out these fabulous restaurants. Right. So there was an element of really having beautiful benefits and experiencing New York in a way that was so exciting. And did, did, can I ask um, yeah. for anyone that listen uh, that's listening that doesn't know Vanity Fair, they do have an Oscars party every year <laughs> that I read about in the magazine. Did you uh, did you get to go to those? Were they doing no. those in those days? What they were doing them, but I did not. <laughs> and I know that would have been so amazing. Uh, when I was in magazine publishing, the editorial side and the business side were church and state. They were totally separate. Yep. Yep. So all that kind of glamoury really. stuff for editorial, I, I really did not experience. Uh, I was there when Tina Brown was the editor, which was exciting. Oh, wow. Um, so we would once a month, we'd see Tina Brown come down to our conference room. <laughs> And we'd hear all about the next issue. And, you know, that was all, always very exciting. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. And then it you was realized a, you didn't like it. Well, I realized I, it's interesting. You know how things kind of you evolve and you grow. And so mm-hmm. in the beginning, it was exciting. In the beginning, I learned a lot. And I did move to different magazines. And over the course of time, I realized that I was moving up. You know, my resume looked the way I thought I wanted it to look, right? You, yeah. I was a marketing major. And so I was a marketing assistant and then associate and then manager and then director. And, you know, then I found myself in the corner office, you know, 12 years later uh, as the director of marketing and sales development at Inc. Magazine. And wow. Inc. is also still alive, which is, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, it's just coming out to Australia this month. I think it launches here. Oh, oh good. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So. Yeah. During that time, I realized I gave up a lot. I I worked my butt off. More often than not, I worked really long hours during the week. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. I have to go back on the weekend. Being a support function of sales, you know, marketing is support of sales. There were many, many nights where I would get a project at 5 p.m., 
when the salespeople walked out uh, the door that was needed the next day. So there was a high degree of burnout in, in yeah. magazine publishing in general and very much in the marketing type of environment. Right. We were always and understaffed. you could feel it coming a bit, could you? Yeah, it was stressful because I was seeing budgets be cut. We ended up having very small staff, but very high demands of what we yeah. needed to do and accomplish. And so... I, of course, tried to do everything I could, um, but the burnout was high. And I finally ended up realizing that I was giving up my life for advertising pages. And I don't care about advertising pages. Right? That is really so, interesting. It's a great insight to have reached before. You know, yeah. lots of people, it takes them their whole career to realize, whoops, um, right. my life's just disappeared while I was working. So, and, and, that, and I also realized that I was really good at something, but that doesn't mean it's right for me. That was another right. big aha. Just because you're doing well doesn't mean it's right for you. No, so it's got to make I, your heart sing. Got to make you want to bounce out of bed in the morning. Yeah. So when you realized that, um, and you're still quite young, I guess, 12 years into your career, um, what mm -hmm. did you do? What did you decide to do? Well, it, it, nothing happened directly. Uh, it was it was kind of a loop around. So yeah. I went to a workshop called Life Designs. It's it's mm -hmm. in New York City. I don't know if it's still there anymore. I now know that that workshop was based in positive psychology and coaching. I know that now. I didn't know that then, and it was transformative. And I think it was the first time I really asked myself, "How do I define success?" What do I want to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think I have bought into kind of the visual of what success was the and success was moving yeah. up the ladder and all that. I looked really successful. I mean, really successful. Didn't feel it because right. I didn't care about what I was doing. And at that point during that workshop, I asked myself questions I had never asked myself before. And I ended up training to be one of their leaders. And that was right. a turning point for me where I realized that my my all of who I am belongs in the world of coaching and bringing out the best in people. That's kind of what I did anyway, just as a person. Yeah. Um, but now I started realizing that there are ways that you can make this a profession. And that was in the beginning of coaching. Um, and my getting right, which into of coaching course now is... Every, every Everyone has jumped on, or not everyone, but so many people have jumped on that bandwagon. How did you differentiate yourself? How did you, or, well, certainly if you were there at the early days, how did you even market, marketing being your forte, how did you communicate to people what that kind of coaching could do for them? Well, you know what? I actually need to give you more backstory, I think, before yeah, I great. answer that. Oh, God, I love stories. <laughs> so I didn't go into coaching right away. I trained okay. to be that workshop leader. Uh, right. She ultimately did not use the three people that she trained because she changed directions. And I heard about coaching, but it didn't feel, even though I was so interested and I thought, okay, this is where I'd love to be. It didn't feel substantial or solid enough yet because right. it was in the beginning. I look back now and I think, huh, I wish I was the trailblazer and I wish I jumped into it at that time. But it seemed like people could hang a shingle and say, hey, I'm a coach. And I have a well, problem. Well, they still with that. do here in Australia anyway. <laughs> I think they do here too. And I really wanted to know that if I'm going to be a coach and help people transform their lives, um, I needed more than what it felt like at the moment. And so, fast forward probably about 10 years and three kids. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I hang discovered. On. You can't really fast forward 10 years. No. That's quite a long okay. time to fast forward. <laughs> did you work during the years with the kids or did you take those 10 years off? So a combination. So I okay. did I did a, a bunch of marketing consulting projects. I edited a couple books. I ended up coming out with my own oh, book. Just actually. small things then. <laughs> yeah, no, my actually that was an accomplishment I'm proud of. I, I came out with my own book uh, that I had published by Random House. And oh my goodness, congratulations. Yeah, it was, thank you. It was, it was an accomplishment I really felt proud of because I wanted to make sure that I didn't just start this cool creative product project because I had done that before. I wanted to finish it. Right. Right. So uh, the book is called Blindsided by a Diaper. And it's about <laughs> how your relationship changes after having kids. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, I think I might have to read that. (laughs) I totally know. I I totally agree with you. So, so during that 10 years you're writing, you're doing, but are you still thinking about coaching in the background? I was. Or Yeah, I I very much was. And I'm fortunate because I was able to work part-time and really be there with my kids. My husband traveled a lot. So I felt like I was doing projects that mattered to me. I was growing and learning in a way that mattered to me. By the way, we actually turned the book into a musical play. So we ended up having readings in New York City and ended up having a, we won a playwright contest. So there was some cool things, you know, that came out of that stage of life. Yeah. That none of that was on the career path, so to speak, but it was all in service of, I think, what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Like, I think nothing oh, that you yeah, do is t- wasted. I mean, we know everything leads to, it all builds towards it. But I'm interested, yeah. if you had the blindsided by a diaper, it obviously took off in some way that you were able to do the plays and things. Did you not think about a career where you would start advising organizations or women around, um, you know, how to retain your relationships after kids are born or whatever? But I, I guess what I'm interested in is that would have in some ways opened up a career path for you as well. Did you think of taking that further and starting to be the expert in that space? Um, it's interesting. Not at that time. I have ultimately at this stage of my life, I do do women's leadership work in companies like Pepsi and Metadata and Yale. And so I do do women's leadership work. But that was after I completely reinvented my career. So as you know, I was swimming in that world of coaching, kind of not feeling like it was as solid as I wanted. And then I discovered positive psychology and I had never heard of it. And Positive psychology is what I wanted, but I didn't know it existed. It's so tell everybody what it is. It's the science behind. Yeah. It's the science behind human flourishing, and it serves to ask the question: How can I live my best life? Right. And so it's the science of resilience, of happiness, of goal setting, of grit, of right, of truly living in to the best of who you are and to making choices to help you live your best life. And so I ended up studying positive psychology for a year with Tal Ben-Shahar, and he started a program after teaching at Harvard. And then I went on to be a teaching assistant for that program for a year. And that lit me up. I knew when I was taking the program that this was my career change because I was learning the science And then I went back and got certified as a coach. So I kind of came full circle back to the coaching, uh, probably a good 12 to 15 years later. So it was definitely with all these extra tools in your toolkit by that stage. Exactly. Okay. And so at that stage, were you working for yourself? 
Yes, I started started a company called Lifestyle Mom, and yeah, it was just a small. Name. Thank you. It was just a small little company, just me, and I at the time was doing um, some spokesperson work in the media, which gave me a lot of experience doing television interviews, radio interviews. That's a whole nother story that <laughs> is part of my reinvention uh, that I'll tell you about in a minute. But I did have a podcast. I interviewed some amazing people and I loved it. But what's interesting is I think I'm a slow learner because I ended up going I down the path. So. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I'll tell you why in a second. It's just it's kind of funny, actually. So I ended up doing this product spokesperson work. And if you can envision, I've got teeny tiny kids. I was working very part time to do that work was really good money, honestly, to show up to be in a New York I'm City sure. studio. And it's kind of fun. And um, I got paid really well for doing that spokesperson work over the course of time. It became um, very unauthentic and almost ugly to me because I was representing products that I would not use myself. But right. as the talent, I didn't want to be that diva talent that was like, oh, I won't represent that. Right. So as yeah. long as I didn't have something fundamentally wrong with it. But there were, you know, there were times that I was representing processed foods. I don't give processed foods to my family. I only do fresh. There were yeah. times I was representing video games and yet at home. I was you the no video queen games mom, but I was representing video games that were good for kids. Was there something fundamentally wrong with it? No, but it wasn't true to who I am. And, and then I came back to that same place that I was in magazine publishing where I was like, I'm good at this, but what am I doing? Like I, my impact in the world is not about advertising pages. The impact I want to make in the world has nothing to do with products I speak about. It has everything to do with how can I help people live their best life? And so after about two years of doing this work, three or four times a year, yep. I reached a point where I did a segment. And if you can envision these product spokesperson segments, you're basically in front of, you're in the studio, you're doing between 20 and 25 interviews back to back. So you right. have to have the same energy for the 20th interview that you had for the first. Yep. And you got to get all your talking points in. Because you're hired by brands. So yeah. I had three or four or five products that I was representing. And I had to get out my key points and being able to swim with the host and being able to, you know, navigate yeah. a two minute interview and then a 10 minute interview. It's actually very difficult. Um, I know. I was going to say, I mean, I've done a little bit of TV and it is difficult. And to try and maintain that energy. I mean, God, when you said 20, I was thinking, yeah, I'd be pretty exhausted by the end of that to try and pull out the same sort of energy as the beginning. The other thing that made it challenging is my image was being broadcast to the television stations, but I could not see their image. So everything I was right. doing was by audio cue. And right. So no feedback at all. No, it was very challenging. Horrible. So my turning point that truly was a turning point was at the end of one of these segments, I was representing products that in no way went together. So it was something along the lines, I think it was Master Built Butterball Indoor Electric Turkey Fryer, um, along with <laughs> what a name. <laughs> I'm along with a hotel, along with gain. I mean, like like these products had nothing to do with each other. Like, it was so hard yeah. to create a segment that made any sense. It felt so ugly and so like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? That I physically became ill, like oh pushing through this where I felt so 
off. I mean, it just felt so inauthentic doing it that literally at the end of the 20 whatever interview, I went to the bathroom and got sick. And that was a turning point. Never will I do work that is not true to me. Never will I do work just because I'm good at it and it's money. I am committing myself at this moment to do the work that I'm proud of, to do the work that I want to leave an impact with. Right. And it's I did it for, you know, the reasons that made sense at the time, but ultimately became not what I want to be doing. No, fair enough. I'm just interrupting for a second to tell you about our new podcast, She's the Boss Leaders. It is filled with more amazing interviews of incredible women. These ones are from all around the world. So I have people from India, from Iceland, from London, New York, and different parts of America, and of course, Australia. So go and subscribe to She's the Boss Leaders. You are really going to love it. And the video interviews are on the YouTube channel. So camp reinvention is just for women as well, isn't it? So I'm interested, why women for you? No, that's a great question because I'm raising three young men and I wrestle so with them. God, we're like twins. <laughs> I'm raising three young men and focusing on women too. Yeah. How, how old are your boys? I've got two 16-year-olds and a 20-year-old and I also grew up with three brothers. Okay. So no other girls in the family. So it's always been boys around me, but I, yeah, love being around women. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fascinating. Um, my boys are 18, 20 and 22. So oh, very I'm similar. A, yeah. I'm a new empty nester as of the last few weeks, actually. It's very different Ouch. to get used to. Ouch and exciting because they're all doing yeah, what Yeah. It's great do. for them, isn't it? It's yeah. fantastic to see it, them fly. It, is. it really is. Um, so why women? Um, honestly, Wendy and I wrestled with that. Because the process that we go through would be just as effective for men. Yeah. And quite frankly, I'm a fan of men. I mean, there's amazing men out there. So uh, we decided to focus on women because we find that the challenges we face are a little bit more unique as we get older. And obviously, this is what we relate to and who we attract. I think some of the issues that we face that are unique are women often don't feel visible. When they're over the age of 50, Hello. they don't yeah, feel relevant. That's my, that's my passion. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And that became our passion. We're like, wait a minute. Women are not only visible and relevant, but we have so much to give and we have that's so right. much more time to give it. And at this stage of our life, I think after we've done some career under our belt and or family and, and there's a lot of things we've done. Now it's time for us to be visible, to give our gifts to the world, to do this thing. And so I think that challenge is unique to women and we're passionate about that. Yeah. So, um, and that's obviously. No, that's who we great. And I, 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 yeah. And to me, there's something, you know, I, I don't know what happens and, and you probably know you're the psychologist, but it's like a switch goes off when you turn 50, I think somewhere around mm-hmm. that age where you suddenly sort of, to use a, tr- a trendy term, step into your power, but you definitely yeah. don't care so much what other people think. And you do understand yourself so much better and go, right. And I think with that guidance, if you were doing a transformation, you know, the the boot camp that you're doing, to have that guidance to be able to go, okay, it's okay to be like that. We're all like that. You know, you're not alone. We're all together. We're all changing and going. 
and and we have a certain power and influence i think by the time we get to that age as well even though we might be invisible in the media and we might be yes. invisible in a lot of other ways we're not invisible you know internally we start to want to shine a bit more i think you know Jules i'm glad you said that too when i said invisible it's because we're not seeing women like us in the media no that's right and and unfortunately many women start feeling less relevant at a time when we have more to give Right. At a time where we know ourselves better. And I think there is an element of your give a shit factor, (laughs) excuse me, goes down. Like, like you start not caring as much about what other people think because you know what is true to you. And with the sense of that clock ticking, there is a sense of urgency. I think that we feel at this age that I'm not going to do this thing now. When am I going to do it? And if I'm not going to be true to myself now. Yeah. True. And I think um, the legacy thing starts popping in as well. All of a sudden you go, well, if I have only got 20 more years, um, how can I help the next generation so that they don't necessarily have to go through what we went through, that they can see older women and be empowered by the fact that, you know, uh, as they get older, they're not going to disappear like our mothers did and our grandmothers did. But I mean, that one, uh, there was a really powerful stat that came out at the end of 2020 from Gina Davis's Institute of Media Diversity, mm-hmm. um, where she'd done, I think it was three years of research and they came back and said, women over 50 appear in less than four percent of media globally and I thought that is so true and that makes so much sense as to why we really do need to change that and make women more visible because it came at the same time as me hearing the stat from um, Inspiring Girls which is run by Miriam Gonzalez Duartes who said that girls 11 to 16 say clearly that they can't see women who are role models who are doing what they would like to do. So we've got a job at our age, I think, to go out and make that change happen and to make us – and, you know, I teach PR, so straight away I'm there talking to women who nearly always will say, I don't want to push myself forward. I'm not that special. Um, You know, why would anyone listen to me? And I kind of encourage women to – think in a way that I think works for them, which is don't think about yourself. Think about the young girls that you might be helping by pushing yourself forward and letting people know what it is that you do. It's not you bragging about yourself. It's actually about you helping other younger girls. And I think when you spin it that way, they immediately go, ah, yes, okay, I can see it. I'm more comfortable doing it now. Yes, absolutely. Your your is invitation a service that you're providing. That's an invitation for people to take part in it. That's yeah. right. And I think and I think the um the other thing is that if you want to make a change happen in the world, you have to have influence. Like you can't you can't be an unknown and make things change. So ho- however uncomfortable it is, if you want to make change in the world, which a lot of women do, I think uh, they want to see that change happen that that hasn't happened in their own. Um, youth. And if we're going to do that, then we have to have influence and some power. And to do that again, you have to push yourself forward. Yes. And of course, that's what you're doing with She's the Boss. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) And that's hopefully what I'm doing with all the women I interview so that you all become more visible as well. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And what's, what's uniquely wonderful at this stage of history is we have access to media that we've never had access to. So if you figure in the United States in 1964, the year I was born is the year that we earned the right to vote. When I put it in that perspective, that that is in my lifetime and women didn't have a voice. They didn't have a vote. And now with the media that we have at our disposal, 
we have the ability to share our voice, to rally behind causes, to be visible, to be seen, to have impact. Like all that stuff is possible now in a way that it never, ever was. Absolutely. That's really, really inspiring. The other thing, Jules, that that, uh, your comment triggered for me is when we started Camp Reinvention in January of 2020, we had a really tough time finding photography of women to put on our website. Because stock <laughs> photography of a woman 15 older just very just rarely existed. The, yeah, yeah. Unless or they're very was, cliched. Oh, my gosh. So cliched. The old couple playing with the grandkids. Yes. <laughs> or or for the ad for some pharmaceutical or yeah. it, it just wasn't who we are and who we feel like we are and who the women that we're serving, the women that, yeah. we're, that we're serving are vibrant and they know that they have so much more life ahead and they have so much they want to do. That's not what they relate to either, but we didn't see those images. Even no. in the three years since that time, we're seeing more and more. And there are some organizations like Celebrate the Gray, Aegis. I was that, just going to say, right, Stephanie that O'Dell. Dedi- yeah, Stephanie O'Dell. She's doing great work. Um, Aegis with David Stewart. And there's some a, a lot of other organizations too that are really committing themselves now to having not just women, but people in this age group be seen for who they are. And now, yeah. hopefully, as time goes on, because it's even changed in three years, we'll see more and more of that. Just those visuals and people we can identify with that represent yeah. like who we are and, and, and who I we want to be. Here's something else that always makes me laugh. I don't know. I'm sure you probably have them in America as well. But in Australia, probably it must have happened when I was in my 30s because at the time I thought, yep, of course, that makes sense. All these retirement villages for over 50s that were all about lifestyle, retirement and stuff. And now I look at them and go, over 50 to lock yourself away in a retirement village. Yes. It's just, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, now I'm like, why aren't they over 70s or something? But oh. do you have them over there? Like I used to think over 50 was really old. Now I think it's, as someone said to me this week, it's the new 30. Yeah. You know, it's actually, I say 50 is the new 50 and 60 is the new 60 <laughs> because we're redefining we're own it, it, right? We're redefining it. We're owning it. Exactly. Yeah. And yes, I've had that same experience. We have, you know, living centers again for people usually 55 and older. I'm 57. I look at them. I'm like, that's <laughs> not go, who I am. That's not what no. I'm ready for. No way. No. Yeah. And some of them are lovely, you know, so I'm not bashing it, but it's just not where my headset is. Yeah, I'm not. It's just the the age group. And we've got um, an insurance company here that's been advertising on the TV for years called Pensioners Plus or something. And again, that's over 50. And it just does. Anyhow, it makes me laugh, especially with what where I feel like I am and the women around me in my group. And I look at us and I'm like, I don't think any of us would fit in a place like that. But anyway, it's all interesting. Now, we haven't got too much longer. And I've got another couple of questions to ask you. Firstly, talk to me about some pivotal moments in that since you've sent up Camp and Prevention. It may not have happened, but I, I would imagine it has, where things maybe aren't don't go as well as you had thought, or something happens and you just think, oh my God, what are we going to do? This is a disaster. <laughs> I'm probably over talking to him, but you look back afterwards and you go, gosh, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gone down this path in which case, you know, thank goodness it did. Have you had any moments like that? Yes. Big, the biggest, I think the pandemic and small moments. So <laughs> I think the, big, the pandemic was kind of a thing, right? <laughs> Pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And I, and honestly, I don't know if we would have come to this path or this path as quickly as we did, if it weren't for the pandemic. So I do think it was an opportunity that we created 
because of the pandemic and because of the loss of what we thought our vision was, it actually, it really empowered us because we realized not only is this work needed for women in this age group, but people are feeling stressed. They're feeling lost. They're feeling disconnected. We can bring people together. And so it felt like something that was really needed at that time. And I think we probably would have created digital programs down the road, but I think it put some fire under our butts to do it right then. And we're really glad we did because I do think we were able yeah. to serve at a really high level at a time when people really needed it and, and of then course great it removes, things came out of it. And yeah. it removes borders. So all of a sudden, initially you're thinking we'll do something in America or we'll do something in the state you're in. And by the time the end of the pandemic came, it's like, why wouldn't I be working with people in England and Australia and wherever they were, you know, they can come to me from wherever. And the other beautiful thing I think about going online that I hadn't considered until I started hosting online lunches um, during the lockdown for female founders was the women in rural areas, the mums and the disabled women, that it just brought them into the fold and I had never really noticed how much they were missing out because to come to a networking event involves Mm -hmm. for some of them massive amount of logistics and so it's not something that they can easily do and these women were saying to me, wow, now I can do networking in my lounge room. Now I can go down to my shed and not have to do a three-hour or overnight trip to go to a networking thing. So I think it's been much more inclusive, which I Mm -hmm. love. I love that too. And I think one thing we've really realized through the work that we do, both in person and digitally, is when we're wrestling with something and when we're looking to create a change in our life, it's really hard to do, first of all. And second of all, <laughs> yes. we usually think we're wrestling in our own little head, like we're the own, only person in the whole wide world that's dealing with this thing. That's right. And then you bring people together. You're like, oh my gosh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like everybody, every one of us is wrestling with so much and oftentimes the same things. And so it's yeah. like magic to realize that and to have honest conversations where you bring people together in this safe space and they're all about elevating each other. They're all about- yes. Right. And yes, what I find fascinating is, again, change is hard. We humans resist it um, for obvious reasons. You know, our brain does not like uncertainty, but it's hard to change something bigger in your life, even with the people around you that have your back. Because when we change, we make them uncomfortable. And when we change, they don't always understand fully the vision of what you're wanting to create. They also don't always understand the patterns that you need to kind of let go of and change. Cause quite frankly, we all have patterns of how we've existed for years. Some of them yep. serve us, some of them don't. Right. So there's a lot of changes internally mindset wise that need to happen to create change, to be the person you most want to be, to create that thing you really want to do. So Even when people around you have their back, they're not always comfortable. They don't always get it. But when you're with people, whether it's through your virtual programs that you do with what we do at camp, all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, we're all doing this together. We're in the same place and you're connecting at a level that is so rich and so deep and so beyond the superficial hoopla of the day. You're diving right into what do you want to create? What matters to you? What's holding you back? How can I support you? Like you're diving right in on that level. And the honesty is amazing. And you realize you're not alone. 
Yeah, it's really what it comes down to. No, You're not that's alone. right. And there's yeah. some beautiful stats that I've started t- using in my talks. Harvard Business Review did a um, did some research and found that men can progress and be successful regardless of the gender of the people who support them, as long as they've got a support network. Mm-hmm. Women definitely statistically go further <laughs> and are more successful if they have other women. And mm-hmm. I think that's because we are – we are different to blokes. So, it, it you know, it, we've, we're going through menopause. We've got all these other hormonal things. So having other women that yes. get it and that support you, I think um, hu- makes a huge difference. So too. I just love, 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 love what you're doing. Now I'm going to do um, two more questions. One, we talked okay. about burnout in the hours you used to do. How do you structure your week now to juggle life and business and not burn out? What sort of um, things have you put in place, if anything? Yeah, you know, and that's always a balance, I think, as an entrepreneur, and especially Ooh, yes. if you're passionate about what you're doing, because, you know, if I ask my husband, he thinks I work too many hours, right? Because he's kind of waiting for me at five o'clock, and I'm pretty happy working at six, right? Right. So case in point. But, so, but that's good straight away, I can hear, but you do stop it in the evenings and go, yes. okay, that's It's family time. time. Yeah. So the things I've put in place is being clear on when I'm working, when I'm not. When I'm at work, I'm not playing. I mean, I'm at work. When I'm yeah. home, I'm home. I do not have my computer out. I do not. If everybody goes to sleep and I have energy, I might take it out. But I do not work. I do not do any of that at home because I want to be 100% with the people that right. I'm at. And the reality That's is you great. can't really be in two places at one time anyway. It's no. our head. It's training our head to be in one place. And yeah. so I'm very, very good at that now. And it's taken some practice to do that. Um, oh, well done. And the other things are self-care. You know, I get my yeah. sleep. I'm a baby for eight hours. I, I need it. I, I know I work optimally uh, with that. And getting outdoors, you know, I would like to say I go to the gym all the time, but I don't, but I do move every day. So I do yoga stretches. I, I walk or hike every day. Uh, unless the right. weather is horrible. And I'm fortunate to live in a beautiful place. So whether it's the woods or the beach, I have really beautiful places I can go to. And that for me is not just exercise. That's like my therapy and my wind down and my everything yeah. to be able to regroup and just to be in nature and to have that time. Um, that's something that has become a really important part of my life. Um, no, I think that and, it's great to hear that because yeah. it is important, I think, to have that balance. And and you're right, when you're passionate about what you're doing and it doesn't feel like work, it's very easy to just do it all the time. But I think building boundaries is really important if you're going to be able to sustain what it mm-hmm. is that you're doing for a long time, especially as we get older. I was yeah. saying to a friend the other day, they said, oh, my God, you're so busy. And I went, I know, and I wish I was 25 again because I'd have a lot <laughs> more energy, but it definitely (laughs) takes it out of me. You know, I have to have that sleep in order to be able to put out the energy for other people. Okay. Last question for you. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? Oh gosh. All right. Quickie (laughs) quickie fact. Um, Oh gosh. Also you draw a blank. Like there's nothing that to know about me. Right. Um, I went skydiving. Um, in college with my husband's fraternity of guys. So it's just a random thing, but I am an adventure and thrill seeker at heart. And it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I jumped out of a plane and spent the day training and did it. And 
It was one of those things. It was on the bucket list. I was scared, of course. And by the time you finished your training, I was so empowered to do it. And it was such a beautiful experience. And you like floated to the earth, you know, from this beautiful parachute. And it's just one of those little life experiences that I'm so glad I did. I don't know if I'll do it again because I did yeah. it safely and my curiosity is over, but I'm really, really glad <laughs> yes. I did it. <laughs> I, I could totally relate to that. And I would love to do that one day. No. Well, Dana, you have been an amazing guest. I love what you're doing. God, I could talk to you for hours. Pity you're in America and I'm in Australia. I or, agree. You know, I, we, I could imagine we would be sitting down for ages <laughs> to chat. But if people would like to do your camp reinvention or they want to get hold of you, what are the best ways for them to do that? Thank you. Our website is campreinvention.com. We actually yeah. have different programs that we offer. Some are focused on career change. Some are focused on health. We actually do the career change mm -hmm. program every October. We're launching it right. at the end of this month. Uh, we do a health change program to really master the mojo after menopause and all that good stuff this uh, in February. And we, of course, always offer our Camp Reinvention process in different ways. So about our to answer your question, you can go to campreinvention.com or you can drop me an email at hello at campreinvention.com. Go to wonderful. Thank you so, so much for sharing. I can't wait to share this. This is great. Been wonderful to talk to you and uh, I can't wait to see what you keep doing. Thank you, Jules. Right back at you. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure.